I'm going to grab this stand because this one never likes me. It always sinks down when I, when I use it. Boy, have you been blessed today or what? Oh, thank you, everybody. What a wonderful Sabbath it's been. It's been a long one, but uh, a good one. And, you know, Dr. Bob, you thanked a lot of people at the beginning, and I just want to say a special thank you to you today for all the hard work you've done. It is a fruit of the Spirit, a source of strength. It shows up in the morning after a night of weeping. It's what Jesus longs to complete in us. Its purest form can even come amid trials of many kinds. No one can take it away from us, and it will be our everlasting crown in Zion. Joy. Joy. Boy, as I was reviewing those references in Scripture and looking up many more, it became clear that our level of joy is something that God cares a lot about. In fact, I would say one of his highest priorities is giving us joy, which is not an easy task. Our world is filled with people who are moody and fickle and stubborn, and that just describes my wife's husband. (laughs) We are not easy people to please. You know, I read something the other day from a neuroscientist that said our brains are hardwired to focus on the negative, that it it takes just three seconds for a negative memory to imprint on the brain, but 14 seconds for a positive one. Our minds are wired to focus on all that is bad in the world, and it doesn't help that there is a lot of bad in the world. Add to that our 24-7 digital news cycle, which is an economic model built to profit off our tendency to latch on to the negative. Add to that the anxiety of the holidays. For some, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. For others, it's the most stressful. Add to that our own personal misfortunes and heartaches and struggles, and it becomes a pretty uphill battle to find joy. Is joy really possible considering who we are, the circumstances of our world, the the circumstances of our lives? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And it's all because of the one whose birth we celebrate this time of year. In fact, when we go and reread the story of his birth right from the beginning, he makes sure to know that I am bringing some serious joy into this world. Uh, Dr. Hooray already read the scripture for us this morning. Hooray for Dr. Murray. Love that, Andrew. Um, So I'm just going to reference verse 10. I want to draw your attention to verse 10 in Luke chapter 2. It's in the heart of what he read today, where the angel says to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That word for good news in the Greek is that familiar word, you know, euangelion, that we uh, get the word evangelism from, the word gospel from, or in the Christmas vernacular, glad tidings. 
We think of gospel as a serious word, but in the first century, it was a happy word. Whenever a new king was born or a war was won, the empire would send out a herald to preach the good news, to preach the gospel. And the angel says, I've got some happy news that's going to bring you some joy. And I love the definitions you find as you dig a little deeper, also for that Greek word that is translated as joy, kara. It, it means cheerfulness, gladness, and my personal favorite, calm delight. Love that. And this isn't your ordinary cheerfulness, gladness, or calm delight. No, this is the great kind. And in the Greek, that word for great that gets translated as great is megas. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to know what that means, right? We're talking about mega joy. Mega joy. The angel's like, let me try to tell you how exceedingly high and large and loud and mighty this joy is that you're going to have because the good news I'm going to tell you. And I mean, what other kind of joy could it be after you take in all this good news? Unto us, a Savior is born. He is our Messiah. He is resting his favor on us. He gives us peace. Boy, I was thinking about the familiar Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. And have you ever noticed that third stanza? I think it's my favorite. I just want to read those words to you. I know we're going to sing it in a little bit. But that third stanza, I, I think it really testifies to the implications of this good news. It says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Joy penetrated this cursed world of ours. What good news. Those of us who have accepted the good news of Jesus Christ and have made the choice to follow him, we should be the happiest, the most joyful people in the world. Are we? Are we? In a world that is so divided and negative, do others look at us and say, hey, there goes those Christians. They're so cheerful. They're so glad. They have such calm delight in all that they do, in all their circumstances. I'm not sure they would say that very often about me. Boy, this past week, we were getting Christmas gifts together to some friends and, and cards, and there was a pack of Christmas cards that we had in the house. And I don't know why I was writing in them and not Beamy. She would have done better. But I made so many mistakes on the very last card we had uh, to put in the last gift. And it was too many crossouts. It just looked terrible. So I was like, I have to go get a new card. So I go quickly to the Dollar Tree, Dollar Tree just to get one card. And I pop in. It's during midday. I come in the store. There's like nobody in there. Or so I thought. I go into the aisle where the cards are. I emerge. And there's like eight people in line. Carts full of stuff. Now they're in front of the register. And I just got one measly card to get. So I get in the back of the line. And of course, there's just one person, right, working at the register. There's five registers. They've got the capacity. But no, it's just one person. So I stood there in line for more than 30 minutes to get my one card. <laughs> grumbling under my breath and above my breath. 
about how they need to have more people working here, this, this unacceptable, this staffing issues, and don't they know I'm in a hurry, I have a lot of stuff to do, and if you were to survey every person in that line, they would have said, I was the one with the least calm delight among us. I know I need to improve on the level of Christ's joy in my life. I don't think it's at the mega level yet. But that's what Jesus says I'm bringing. And if you're like me and you struggle with mega joy levels in Christ, I want to give you one suggestion to start improving that today. I can only give you one because Dr. Bob said this is a homily, so I have a shorter message to give you today. There's a lot of ways in which we could grow our joy in the Lord, but and that scripture tells us, but we just have time for one today. And if I could just give you one, I think it would be this, something that has been wor- the Lord has been working on my heart, especially this week. The one thing I would suggest to increase your level of joy is this. Make an effort to enjoy God. Make an effort to enjoy God. I think that's the essence of what Paul tells us in Philippians 4, verse 4, where he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. This is an imperative, right? A, a command that, that, a command to rejoice from Paul. That implies to me effort, a deliberate decision and action, right? I love how Henry Nouwen says this. He says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Or I love the way the theologian Richard Foster says it. He says, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. Rejoicing requires effort. But then I would say the key word in that little but powerful text is the littlest word we find in there. In. Rejoice in the Lord. I think that's the key thought. You know, I spend a lot of time, family, I know you do too. I spend a lot of time serving God. I spend a lot of time busy in ministry for him. But I don't know if I spend a lot of time enjoying delighting in him. I especially was struck with this thought after I saw this short video that I'm going to play for you today produced by Dr. Ronald Boyd McMillan. He's the director of strategic research from Open Doors International, the world's largest organization, maybe you've heard of it, assisting persecuted Christians worldwide. And so the context of what he talks about is always from the context of persecution. But what persecution brings us to, that principle that he's going to articulate, I think applies so well to our um, goal today of increasing our joy level with the Lord. Let's go ahead and listen to it. One of the most transformative encounters I ever had with a persecuted Christian was meeting the great Chinese leader Wang Mingdao. He was very old and he'd spent many years in jail for his faith. And I was wondering how to relate to him. 
I said, uh, I'm not going to suffer like you. I'm going back to a country and they'll never put me in jail. So he thought about this and then he began to ask me lots of questions. He said, when you go back to your country, how many articles do you have to write in the first month? How many people do you have to see? How many sermons do you have to preach? And on and on he kept asking all these questions. I thought, why is he asking me questions about my schedule? And I began to sweat because I realized oh, I have so much to do when I get home. And then he just stopped and looked at me. And a revelation came, as it were, between us. And I thought, I need to build myself a cell. And I said it out loud to him and he said, that's it. It will be harder for you. I was pushed into a cell. But you will need to build yourself one. And he said, think about what a cell is. It's a situation where it's just you and God and nothing else. That's it. So that's what happened to me. I was put into a jail cell in my 60s. I was at the peak of my powers. I wanted to write books. I couldn't. They wouldn't give me pen and paper. I wanted to study my Bible and, and write lots of sermons. I couldn't. They wouldn't give me a Bible. I wanted to go around the country and hold campaigns. I couldn't do anything. None of that was available to me. I just had to sit in the cell and get to know Jesus Christ. And he said that, over time, said it wasn't easy. Over time, that became the sweetest aspect of my life. All my life I had served Jesus Christ, but I had been working for him. I had not been really enjoying him as a person. The cell forced me to because there was nothing else. And that seems to be the key to the cell. A cell is what we build, or is built for us, where we push away all the distractions, we strip life down to its bare essentials, and it's just us and Christ and nothing else. As he was talking, I realized that that's really what persecution does. It's one of the great spiritual secrets of persecution. Not that persecution is great in itself, it's what it brings about. It simplifies life, it strips life down to a situation where it's you and Christ and no distractions. And so many of us live our Christian life thinking that we are serving God, when in fact we're not enjoying Him. We're not doing the one thing needful. We haven't stepped into the cell where I must go, where I can focus purely on Christ and no one else. Pretty powerful thought. I just want to challenge you, family, to build yourself a cell. In other words, make an effort to enjoy God. Maybe that is going to be harder for us. Maybe for some of us here, we can relate to that. Uh, situation of persecution or things that have happened in our lives that have thrust us into a cell where it's just us and the Lord. But for other of us, it might be hard. It might not come easy. Maybe we have to start small. Maybe it would just start by taking 14 seconds, right? That's all we need to imprint a positive memory. 14 seconds for the, for the first thing that you do, the first 14 seconds you do when you wake up in the morning, or maybe it's at your lunch break, or right before your head hits the pillow at night, you spend time reflecting on the goodness of Christ, imprinting that on your mind rather than the negative things in our world. Or, or maybe it would help if you bookend your prayer time every day, something at the 
beginning and something at the end, something about the blessings of God. Maybe you need to create some special time and space where you cut out all the distractions like Dr. Boyd McMillan says, and it's just you and Jesus. Your, your phone's turned off, your smart watch is not on your wrist, you're not working, there's no distractions, it's just you and Jesus enjoying each other's company. I don't know what method is going to be best for you, but I do know that if you build a cell with Jesus, you're going to have mega joy. Lord, we thank you for the joy that you bring into our lives, joy that only you can. May we be part of the creation, repeating the sounds of your joy in our life to the world. And Lord, help us, give us wisdom and strength to know how to increase the level of joy that you long to complete in us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.